good morning again to everyone. Uh, thank you for tuning and joining us in this online worship service. And uh, if this happened to be the very first time that you are with us, kindly notice that we have started two weeks ago a new series from the book of Joshua, oh, sorry, Judges, that we, are, we have a, a titled Broken People and Faithful God. So the past two weeks, Pastor Garrett has been laying the foundation of what are we to expect from uh, the book of Judges. And that is very important and always it's good for us to be reminded of what we have seen for us to position ourselves or to locate ourselves and for us to know where are we going. And it is important for you also to have a time to read this book. It is not a very uh, good reading, if I can say like that. But if it is in the Bible, there is a purpose for what God has put this book uh, in the Bible. And it is important for us to know at least the story, the context of the stories that we we're going to see during this series. So I encourage you to do that. I encourage you even in your uh, uh, devotional time for you to have time to read the book of Judges. Just in a way of uh, uh, revision of what has been laid down by Pastor Garrett the past two weeks, from chapter one to chapter two, we saw the, the, the situation of the Israelites. They are now uh, free from the bondage in Egypt, and they are now in the promised land. So this book is presenting those people that in Cana, the promised land that they are now inherited, or they have inherited, how people raise, or how God raised people uh, in order to deliver them from their enemies. But it is important for us to understand that those people who we are calling judges, who in fact were deliverer, they are not in this book for us simply, simply to aspire to be like them. I mean by that that the, the, the main objective or the aim of judges is not for us to teach our children, be like Samson, be like Jephthah, or even Eud that we will see today. One of the main things is that even these characters, they have in their own self, characters false. And judges is not teaching us a moral teaching only for us to be courage like uh, Gideon or strong like Sansom. It should be a wrong approach from uh, this book of Judges. Secondly, we need to see that there, there is 12 stories in this book. Uh, we saw the first judge last week, Otoniel, and today we will see the second one, Eud. And these 12 stories, there are six that are long, that explain in detail how the, the deliverer has delivered the people of Israel, but there are also 
quick six mention of other judges, which is very brief. For example, in verse 31 of chapter 1, the Bible is talking about Shamgar, and there is no much detail on that. They just say that Shamgar was a son of Anat who killed 600 of Philistines with an ox, and he also saved Israel. That's the only reference of this uh, 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 judge or deliverer. So we will not, we don't have much information for us to dig deep in his life. That's why today's message, we will also concentrate mainly in Eud. And also, we will see that the reading of Judges is a tragic reading. We'll see it throughout the, 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 the book. And seven times in this book, chapter 2, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 7, chapter uh, 3, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 1, 6, verse 1, 10, 6, and 31, there is a word or a sentence that is repeated in the Bible, which is, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So all this is for us just to have a picture about the book of Judges. So these stories are not meant for us to just emulate the characters or the judges, but they serve to warn us as a warning for us. In the same way, Israel has descent to self-destruction, and to slavery as a result of turning away from the God who loved them and saved them from slavery in Egypt, we also, we are warned to pay attention for us not to go in the same way that Israel went. And God, in the context, as Pastor Garrett uh, uh, preached last week, is not now saving Israel from Egypt, but is saving Israel from themselves. The word that he used was that God has taken Israel from Egypt, but now he is busy taking Egypt uh, 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 inside Israel. And this is very important because the main application for us today is that Cana. And all these enemies, they are not outside of us. They are inside of us. The Moabites, the Amalekites, and every other ites, they are not outside of us. They are, they are inside of us. And the battle that we are fighting with the aid of the Spirit of God in us is the battle of control of our hearts. And this is very important. I repeat, Cana, the promised land, is our hearts. The battle we are fighting is not outside of us, but it is inside of us. So the book of Judges then, it is the stage that set up how God is looking to deliver his people from themselves. This book set the stage uh, of the origins of the kings in Israel. And we see that from the book of Ruth, which is the next book after Judges. And it is important, why? 
Because the last sentence of this book in chapter 21st, verse 25 says that in those days, there was not king in Israel and all people did what was right in their own eyes. Because there was no king in Israel, no ruler, people were living their lives as they wanted to live. Everything that was right in their eyes, they did. And the Bible is saying, because there was no king in Israel. So the next book, which is Ruth, sets then the story of how God was bringing the king that would rule Israel to his ways. The book of Ruth talks then how the lineage of David uh, started. And then the other book or the next book is the book of 1 Samuel, which said exactly how kingship started in Israel. Thus, the book of Judges points to David and beyond him. Why? Because even David has failed. You very well remember that being a man after God's, uh, God's heart, he also sinned very openly and he failed. So the king that God is looking for, yes, it is a messiah, messianic king through the line of David, but it was not David. So all this is the background, again, of the book of Judges. So today, then, we will see the second uh, judge or the second delivered uh, who na whose name is healed. So from chapter 3, we'll just read the last verse that we read last week, verse 11, up to verse 13. That says the word of God. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Otoniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Eud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tributes by him to Eglon, to the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when Eud has finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. 
and he commanded silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Eud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Eud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Eud reached him with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust into his belly. And, he, he, and the hilt also went in after the blade, went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly. And the dung came out. Then Eud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Verse 24, when he had gone, the servant came and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself. So he is in a washing room doing something that they thought. Surely he is relieving himself in the closet uh, of the cool chamber because of the smell. And uh, they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he, st when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And there, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Eud escaped while they delayed. And he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites, and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. It's a long reading but important for us to know the context. Let's just pray, asking uh, the Spirit of the living God to help us uh, at this moment. Let's pray. Father, once again, we praise your name for, for the opportunity to sit under your word. Again, Lord, there is no words in me, O oh Lord, able to transform anyone's life. The only the word that you have given me when breathed by the Holy Spirit has the power to transform lives. Lord, this is what we pray right now, that your spirit will move in us, around us. Give me strength and clarity, communicating your word to your people. And may you save us from ourselves, O oh Lord, for your name's sake. And for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. There are people in this world that they are born apparently perfect. You see them, some of them, they are tall while growing. You see them with good families. And we think that their future is guaranteed because of that. But sometimes we are surprised and amazed with stories of people that came uh, from nowhere and rise up to position of authority. And in God's kingdom, that's actually something that happens often. And we will see that from this story of Eud. Why I say that? Because he didn't have the opportunity to, um, or the privilege to be born um, healthy or completely healthy. You see there in verse 15, when the Bible says that Eud, who was the son of Gera, he was left-handed man. And we will discuss that in a minute. Why am I saying that Eud was not totally healthy? But despite of his uh, handicap, God has raised him for him to be the deliverer of Israel at this time. The writer or the narrator here, the author, wants us to see that such deliverance, has, as he has described it, is vastly beyond anything that he would in on his own could orchestrate it. This deliverance may not have been spectacular as the dividing and closing of the Red Sea, but it produced what God had purposed. God was in complete control. And this is what we want to see, God's sovereignty in all this story. Even though it could appear that these things were happening by chance. So what is then this story have to do with us? What does it mean for us? Well, Paul said in Romans that everything, everything, or God causes all things to work together for good for those who loved him and are called according to his purpose. The same way God purposed something in this story, he is doing in our lives as well. Absolutely. There is no difference because the same God that was with Israel is with us today. As we look even to the situation around us, the decline of economy, the moral of the world going down, political turmoil, economical turmoil around the world in this season, we might be tempted to think that the world is out of control. It may look uh, as though things are spinning out of control. But appearances are not reality. Albert will say, as he taught us yesterday, this is only a shadow. The appearance that things are out of, out of control is only a shadow. Why? Because God is in control. God may be 
using some powerful men and nations to, to correct and discipline the church for her sins. But the good news is that when we call out to him for help, he is merciful and he causes men and events to achieve his purposes. Although it may appear that these are going to bring about destruction, as we saw in our reading. If God was in complete control, both in disciplining disobedient Israel and in bringing about her deliverance, then he will do the same for his people today. We must simply trust and obey him as he has revealed himself in his word. So this brings us to our first point of this morning, God's redemptive judgment in verses 12 and 14. The Bible says, And the people of Israel again, and you can see that again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Pastor Garrett again, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just emphasizing that maybe you can go and listen to those messages. He taught us very well last week when he mentioned what kind of evil the Israelites did. And the reference that we have is from Judges 3, 6, 7. And we can go back there to understand what was the evil that Israel did. And remember that it is a cycle of doing the same thing over and over again. And this is again a time that Israel do something uh, against or evil in the, sight of, in the sight of the Lord. Judges 3 verse 6. And their daughters they took from themselves for wives. So talking about the uh, foreign people that they found in, in Canaan. The Israelites took their daughters for wives and their own daughters they gave to their sons and they served their gods. Verse 7, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What was that evil? They forgot the Lord, their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherah. This is what the evil they have made. In which way then we can apply this to ourselves today? How do we forget or forget God in our lives? Again, last week we saw when we ignore God completely. When simply we say that God has not authority over our lives. When we cease to care about the things that God cares. When we are completely indifferent to the things of God. We do exactly what Israel did. How is your heart concerned to the things of God? Do you 
deep inside of you, do you have that desire to please God with your life? As I say in the beginning, there are many people in this world that they, they come thinking that their lives will be their own and they will be having a perfect life. And they start aiming for things that are not completely wrong, but in their lives, it doesn't reflect their eagerness, their desire to know God. Work is a good thing, but when you put work before the knowledge of God, you are doing evil in the sight of God. You can pursue relationship, marriage, but when that desire is greater than you pleasing God as a believer, you commit uh, what the Israelites say, did, evil in the sight of the Lord. It is like coming to a place where it is completely dark and there is a light. When that light is switched off again, the darkness come again in your life. And our Lord is that light in our lives. Every time that we reject and we switch off that light, how? By not pursuing him in his word or by prayer. We are switching off that light and we are doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Understand, brothers and sisters, that in spiritual realm, there is no a neutral ground. You cannot say that I belong to God and at the same time I belong to the world. If you are not pursuing God, you are pursuing something else. And as long as God is not the light of your life, you are doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And one thing we need to learn from this story in this passage or in this verse, that God cannot leave sin unpunished. When you leave him out of your life, he needs to come and punish that. But while doing that, that's why the first point is the redemptive judgment of God. Because we are in the time of grace. When God comes to correct us, is for us not to partake from the works of darkness and in the future be completely condemned to hell. Today, when he comes to discipline us, he does that to redeem us. How do we know that? See what the next word says. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. Moab was an enemy, a, 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 a nation that was enemy of Israel. And here you see clearly that it is the Lord, God himself, that strengthened that king for that king to do what? To rule over Israel. Why? Because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So this is the first thing that we learn from this passage, that God will always punish sin. Sin will never go unpunished. When uh, Moses 
in uh, Exodus 34 talks about God. He said that God is full of mercy. If I cannot use my own words, I'll go there quickly. Exodus uh, chapter 34 from verse 6. Moses is saying, the Lord passed before him, proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, the guilt visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God will always punish sin. And this is a sober thought for us. Why? Because you can choose to pay for your sin or you can choose to put your faith in Jesus that has already paid for the sin of the world. That's what we sang. Are you ready to pay for your own sin? Don't answer quickly. And please, I hope you are not, not saying that I can do that. It is unbearable. Even my mind, our mind cannot con conceive that. But we know that sin will always be punished. God himself, he himself, he will act to punish sin. Second thing that we can learn from this verse is that you can choose to sin, but you will never choose the consequence of your disobedience or of your sin. See with me what the Bible says, verse 13. He gathered, talking about Eglon, to himself Ammonites and Amalekites, and they went to defeat Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. They have chosen to forget God, but I'm sure they didn't choose to be under the bondage of the Amalekites or of the king of Moab for 18 years. And again, this is a sober thought for me, for you, and for believers and all people of this universe. We can choose to sin, but we never choose the result of that or the consequence or the outcome of our disobedience. God is the one that will do that. And he put these people under bondage 18 years, 18 years. Daily, they were under bondage of the king of Moab. As Pastor Garrett says, sin is a process. Israel started first walking in the way of the unbelievers. Then they lived in their lifestyle, starting marrying with their sons and their daughters. And it ended up in worship, Baal and Astaroth. 
sin will always lead us to bondage. But as I say, the consequence of that can be completely uh, horrific. I, I want to give you an example of David, who is the man after God's heart. Because of one night stand with Bathsheba, he had to pay very high price of that sin. You remember that Absalom, his only son, took control of or took him from the kingship and wanted to be the king of Israel. You remember that in his own family, his son raped his half-daughter. In, in this case, his half-sister. All these consequences, for sure, King David was not praising God for them, no? And he didn't think about that in one night stand with Bathsheba. But the consequences were there. If we stop here and we start thinking about what we just see, we need to reflect in our own lives. Parents, how are you living your life? God is able to visit iniquity of the parents in the children. What legacy are you leaving for your children? Children, how are you living your life? Are you just living by living or are you living to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ? Obeying his commandments. At least do your heart or does your heart eager to learn and to know God? Or are we just living by living in this world? If we stopped here, it should be also a drastic uh, ending. But thanks be unto God. He is a faithful God. In our brokenness, he is faithful. See now verse 15. And this leads me to my second point. God's deliverance of Israel. I'll just read verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Eud, the son of Gerai, Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Because you see, again, and I'm repeating sometimes uh, the same thing, when we see capital uh, Lord, like everything capital in the Bible, it means the name of God, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. He is faithful. And this is how the Bible uh, uh, calls God here. He is a covenant-keeping God. In our brokenness, he remains faithful to himself. So what God does? He does raise a deliverer, Eud. But what did the people do before that? 
they had to acknowledge their situation. They had to claim or to cry to God. We see that in verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And remember that this has been a span of 18 years. So they didn't cry only in the 18th year. They start crying from the first year. No one likes to be under bondage. When sin takes hold of us, we need to start crying out to God. God, help us. God, deliver us. This enemy inside of me, help me to take it away. But this is not a wishy-washy prayer. It needs to be a prayer from the bottom of your heart. It needs to be a prayer of sincerity. The same David that was found in sin, in Psalm 51, he opened up his heart and he cries to the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, the one that delivers us from our sins. And this is what we need to do today. How can we apply that for us? Again, we need to acknowledge our sins. We cannot be comfortable with our sins. We need to cry out to God, deliver us. But this cry needs to be from the bottom of our heart. And this is what the people did. God was able to intervene in the affairs of Israel in that situation because they have cried. Two things we learned from here. First of all, is for us to discern God's discipline in our lives. We need to discern that and to embrace since when we are trained by that discipline, we become partakers of God's holiness. And when pastor is trying and the elders are trying to direct the church to church discipline culture, it is not to expose people's sin, but it is to help us to walk in the path of holiness. This is what church discipline is all about. It's the discipline of God, a loving Father, not to destroy us, but yet to lead us to the path of holiness. Don't misunderstand. God, who is our loving Father, He disciplines His children. Hebrews 12, Pastor taught us last week. And when we submit to that discipline, we are restored back to God's and to become partakers of God's holiness. Again, you can read Hebrews 12 on that. Brothers and sisters, we need to love God's discipline. Again, because it's not there to destroy us. God has strengthened the king of Moab to discipline his people, not to destroy them. 
but to lead them to repentance. And this is what we see in this story. Second, when we acknowledge that, we need to cry out. We need to pray. This is a season that our church and uh, when pastor put the idea of us having one week across the week, one hour each day for us to meet for prayer, I believe that makes sense. Simply to give us as a church a culture of prayer, at least a starting point. Brothers and sisters, prayer is not easy. It's not at all. It's not easy. But if the Bible is teaching us that we need to cry out to God for him to intervene in the affairs of men, there is no other way for us but to pray. Jesus, he knew that. Remember, when he was in agony in, in Gethsemane, he said to Peter, can you not help me to pray even for an, one hour? And then he added and said, indeed, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is what? Ready to pray. If you are a born again believer, your flesh will always fight against that one hour of prayer. The flesh is the enemy that we are fighting that I say in the beginning that is inside of us. They don't want, the flesh doesn't want to pray, but our spirit loves to pray. So for us to gain discipline, at least one hour as a church, you can choose Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday we are in TEC, then you have Friday morning and Saturday one hour. I challenge you to put yourself under that discipline, godly discipline, because we need to cry out to our Father. Then we see that improbable deliver, which is Eud. The Bible says there that he was a left-handed man. I say that this brings the idea in my research and in the, in the commentaries, say that Eud might be born with some defect bone defect in his right hand. But the Bible is not by chance giving that details that he was the son of Jared, the Benjaminite. Why? Because in Genesis 36, Benjamin was named, or the, the, the meaning of Benjamin's name is son of my right hand. And the image here of right hand is the image of power, is the image of being strong. People will go to battles and fightings and, uh, with their swords, with their right hand. Being left hand were uncommon and were also normal. Let me just put like that. So we see a person that has something uh, not to shear up in this world. But it is this person that God has chosen 
to deliver Israel. He is, in fact, the uh, unlikely deliverer. Where does your strength come from? For Eud, his strength came from the Lord. Because the Bible says that it is the Lord that raised him up. He didn't raise him he didn't raise himself up, but it was the Lord that raised him up. Where is your strength coming from? I always like to address the youth directly. And this is important, even children. This is very important. The world sometimes says to us that our strength maybe comes from our beauty, for ladies, or for men from the six-pack, much exercise, or let's go for being successful in the, in the, in the working environment. Uh, I'm not saying that those things are wrong, and I'm not saying that you cannot do those things. Don't get me wrong, please. But as Proverbs 31 says to women, that external beauty will fade away. What is important is our hearts. To men, Paul is saying to Timothy, see, you need to exercise, but know that godliness will profit you in this life, in the life to come. Where is your strength coming from? Yes, you are preparing, you are studying, you are preparing your future. Learn to fear the Lord as you do that. When the time of getting married comes, don't rush. Marry under the blessing of the Lord. When the times of finding a job comes, do that with one thing that you know that God will be pleased. Where your strength comes from. Don't rush to the world for strength. Let God raise you up. Eud would be someone with self or low self-esteem because of his handicap. But God has strengthened him for him to become the leader of Israel. The Bible says in uh, Psalms, I'll skip 1 Corinthians, Pastor. Let's go to Psalms 113.7.8. The Bible says that he is God, God is the one that raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ashes to make them sit with princes, with princes of his people. It is God that strengthens you. The real strength comes from God. The real six-pack of beauty comes from the, from the Lord. The real and blessed marriage comes from the Lord. The career in life comes from the Lord. Everything has its source in the Lord. Are you desiring the Lord in your life right now? This was the unlikely deliverer that God has raised. But you know, 
There is one unlikely deliverer that God has raised already for our sake. Jesus is the true example of this unlikely deliverer. See with me Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. The Bible says about Jesus. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form of majesty. This is Jesus. That we look, we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he, born, he has borne our griefs, our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Jesus Christ. Is the unlikely deliverer that God has sent to deliver us from our sins. And this deliverer that we have is the one that came to save us from ourselves if we put our faith completely in him, our trust in him. My last point this morning, the rest, God's rest for Israel. I could go into details with what happened in the story. It's very graphic, but our time has gone too much today. So we will just talk about the rest, God's rest for the people of Israel. See with me verse 30. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. Brothers and sisters, there is a place of rest in God. In the midst of the storm, there is a place of rest. But as Hebrews teaches us, we need to strive to enter that God's rest. And I'll finish today with these words from Hebrews. But before we read, let me tell you that when we acknowledge our sins, when we come into repentance and we pray for God to deliver us truly from our sins, he comes and he delivers us. And with that, he gives us his peace. This is what Israel has experienced and we can experience as well. But for that, we need to remember these words from Hebrews. It is on your screen, Hebrews 4.11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, ah, as I saw in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, 
for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in, in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Next verse. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is how I call you this morning for us to strive by faith to enter God's rest, knowing that he disciplines us for us to become partakers of his holiness, knowing that if we cry out to him in repentance, he will come and deliver us, knowing that there is a rest for us in our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives now and forevermore. You will see that the sequence in Judges, because the deliverer dies, people will go back to sin. But this deliverer that we have today, our Lord Jesus Christ, he lives forever. And because he lives forever, sin will not longer have dominion over our lives if we strive to enter God's rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I pray that even in my ups and downs, in communicating what you have put in my heart, Lord, I pray that your spirit will be at work, not only in my brother and sister's heart, but even in my heart. The areas that I need to surrender completely to you, Lord, I beg you, Father, help me. I beg you. Help me. Set me free for myself and let Christ rule my life, the life of my brother and my sister, the life of families, Lord, those that are really going through difficult situations. Let them discern if it is a discipline that comes from you. Not saying that that's the case, but if it is the case, let them acknowledge and come humbly before you, confessing their sin and crying out for deliverance from you. Father, may your name be glorified in our lives now and forevermore. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.